Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Screw on the chemical floors of the dance world. Now you see why I'll always be a dancer. Transcendental brats to the trance world But there's escapes on the face of a girl We're not the answer And we are not the answer We are not the answer Now we are not the answer I like how you okay. put Roger Veer on there. <laughs> well, this is from whatever last interview I did. I think they used the same. What I did was I was using my phone and for I think you had me in the green room so I couldn't talk. Oh, and okay. then, and I don't know why I could talk at first, but then I couldn't talk. It wasn't me muting it. It just showed me a mute, mute button. Yeah. Um, and so I moved to my desktop, but on my desktop, I, I think I used this when I did my interview with Marty Bent. Oh, okay. I put my name is Roger Ver. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it was auto filled for nice. me. But yeah, I, I've changed to my desktop, which I have a better mic over here anyway. So. Uh, awesome. Uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up, dude, how, do you remember, you probably don't like, but, uh, you were like the first person ever, like the first big Bitcoiner ever came to like Austin Bitcoin club, the very first meetup. Do you remember? I that? remember. You do? Uh, I do. I, I remember you embarrassing me, making me seem like I was famous or something. You were. Uh, <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> you were famous. And then, and then I don't, do not, you not anymore. Do you remember also that you were also one of the first like Bitcoiners to come into Plub Lab, like just to visit it? No, I, I remember very well with my visit. I mean, keep in mind when I went there, I w had been in Romania for four years and that was my first time like traveling the U.S. since I had lived there. Um, and so my, my first trip was, uh, I landed in Austin and so oh, okay. I spent a few weeks there and then I went back again later. But, um, yeah, that was one of the first things I did was go to the Pleb Lab thing. I forget how I heard of it or why I went. I think you had some, some interesting flyers at, at bit devs or something. Uh, I don't remember what it was, yeah. but yeah. Dude, I remember you coming in that day and, and just like everything you were telling us in that room, we were all just like listening to you. Cause you're just like this is how like Bitcoin businesses run. And like, you're just like, just laying it all out, just like hard truths. And I was like, damn, like what? Like, is this, is this the reality? Like, and, um, yeah, dude. It, yeah. You guys were, you guys were, were so, so young green. and impressionable then. We were so green, dude. <laughs> like we didn't know <laughs> anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you came in there and just hit us hard. And then like, I think like two, three weeks later, uh, uh, uh Francis went in there too. And like kind of did the similar thing. Um, and it was just like, man, it was just like buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> it was like one of those things. <laughs> well, I'm I'm guessing that after that initial phase where we left, things be the culture changed a bit because my impression of the Austin scene is it's kind of not the opposite of that, but it's a much more 
you know, uh, it's, it's a different culture to the hardcore maximalist. There's a lot of people that are like sympathizers of shit coins. I'm not saying like Bitcoiners are uh, mostly like that in Austin so much as there's more of them trying to advocate not being toxic and being tolerant and uh and there's more also you know like i think that like there's fans of like jeremy rubin and ctv there and so there's there's more tolerance for like complexity in bitcoin and these are all very anti-toxic maximalist kinds of things so i'm guessing that has overwhelmed the culture more than mine or francis's influence at this point i would say for at least for i can only speak for blah blah but no you guys came in and just like instilled the hard hold the line kind of truths that we had in the beginning. And we, to this day, like we get people coming in here all the time that want to like work inside a pub and they have a shitcoin project. Um, it's just like, no, it's just like a big no. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's tricky. Like I, I'm surprisingly, I am tolerant of shitcoiners in that, in that way, kind of in not in the other way. How in so? Other words, How so? Tell no, me. I don't think people should, well, I don't think people should be promoting shit coins or trying to, you know, uh, solicit or, or, uh, you know, gain troops for their cause through Bitcoin venues. And I, I don't want, I don't think that should happen, but I do think that we need to be able to accept shit coiners into, uh, the path of becoming a Bitcoiner. And the only way you can do that, well, they're a shit coiner right now. If they're going to be a maximalist later, what's the path? You know, you have to allow them a path to redemption. You have to allow every, in all things, you have to allow people a path to redemption. Otherwise life is, is pretty shitty. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. That's, that's good, good, good facts there. Dude. So last time I saw you was probably like at Bitblock Boom, like two years ago, maybe. Um, and you, you were talking about this, this like undercover kind of project called Synonym. Uh, turned out to be an absolute banker. Dude, like, dude. We just did the BitKit like wallet redesign uh, in one of our workshops um, that Millie did. I saw that was cool. Dude, um, it's it's sick. Like I'm playing with it right now, but um, it's a really clean design, man. Is this what you guys were going for? Just well, like really am... simple. It doesn't ask you to back up right away. I feel like there's so much friction um, in wallets in general. You guys remove a lot of that. Yeah, I uh, as far as the UX, you know, separately from the design. Well, design-wise, you know, before Bitcoin, my whole career was revolving around design and branding and this kind of thing. So it's a high priority for me, just individually as CEO. Um, and that culture is just much more strengthened by the fact that. I finally found a worthy designer of our team that's handling um, the great majority of design uh, and, and, and UI uh, and UX, um, who is a perfect complement and a great leader for our brand and for our design. And so we're just really lucky um, to have him and to have, and we're unique in that we're led by somebody that is design oriented in the first place. So that's one reason. And as far as the UX, well, I have, and pretty much everybody on the team has been a Bitcoiner for a while. I've been a Bitcoiner for 10 years and 
um, we've used all the apps. We've, you know, been through all of the bullshit. We've, we know what sucks. We know it doesn't suck. And we just decided to go with our gut on how things should be. And rather than iterate what somebody else has done, we just tried to reexamine everything. And that's why it took us a while to kind of come out with the first you know, beta launch of this. Um, and that's, and we're still polishing it and working out the bugs. But, um, I think it's hard to deny, you know, modesty aside that we are kind of raising the bar and redefining a bit of what should and could be done in a wallet. It's clean, dude. It's really, really good job from the team. Like, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, when, when you see it get recreated, like in, uh, like the way, um, we saw in that workshop, it was like, Oh wow. Like that makes sense. Like just from like a, I, I guess from my perspective, like seeing how it was put together um, and seeing how she did it in the workshop, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, like this, this all feels like there's a reason for each section here. Right. Um, so I, I thought that was, it was just very thoughtful. I don't know how else to say it. It just feels very thoughtful um, how everything is. Um, well, there's the, like, it's hard to see how something, you know, this simplified and how many tiny decisions, like literally thousands of little decisions had to be made and bike shed within calls and iterated on in Figma and to get there. And so I'm, I'm happy that that is one of the common feedback, you know, comments so far and that it's just sleek or, or impressive or, or looks nice or feels nice. Um, that's, definitely the, the, the product of a lot of work um it, it took a lot of work to get there yeah what's um by what, everybody not not just me or the designer yeah. by the whole team like we, are, we have ux calls where the whole team participates and so everybody is involved in reviewing the, the current design updates and and has a chance to you know disagree or or add insight to any specific change or, or development in the in the features and so it's it's a full team effort so I want to I want to stay a little bit on this, John, just for a little bit. I want to talk more about the wallet, if that's okay. Um, so sure. as far as like slash tags, I know that's the the big thing that I keep hearing about. How 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 will that work inside the wallet? Um, just like if I'm if I'm using it, if I'm sending Lightning, if I'm sending Bitcoin, uh, if I'm topping up, um, where, where where does slash tags fit in all that? Will it just be another section here, or would I not notice it, or how does that work? Well, well, I'm going to guess that you, you haven't noticed that because it is all in there already. Um, and as far as all the current features that we support. Um, so, and, and the idea is that you shouldn't have to know slash tags exists. And I feel the same way about lightning, by the way, you shouldn't have to know lightning exists. And that's why you can kind of see how we're trying to work towards that goal in, in the wallet as well. Um, but as far as specifically slash tags, well, first I'll do a little summary for the audience just in case they aren't aware, but slash tags is basically a way to address, you know, all of the things that people are currently attributing to web three, to web five, to identity, to semantic web, to reputation, to trust. It's basically a way to kind of, uh, fix the web and slash tags is done through a Bitcoiner perspective. So we're, we're always mindful of, okay, not only are we trying to fix the web, we're trying to fix the web in a world where Bitcoin is the dominant, you know, economic factor. Um, and so slash tags, you know, simply put is just basically a way to have a key pair that represents any 
endpoint or identity or thing. Um, and I, and I, I avoid the term identity because I think that the mistake with that word is people think they mean like ID or an, in a credential sense, like your license or your passport or something authoritative. And that's not what it is at all. Um, and I also hesitate to use that word. And that's why we call it slash tags and not slash ID or something. Um, because it, it, it asks people to think about things like DIDs and, and a lot of these kind of terms that like, for example, web five likes to use. And I think all of this stuff is all very confusing for people and it doesn't speak in user terms, which is another important thing about how we do things and how BitKit does things. We try to think about, right, what is the, what you, what problem is the user trying to solve and how do we speak in those terms? Because trying to speak in terms of like how cool the tech is or how the tech works or what the trade-offs and complications of the tech are, these are all just like noise to the user. They don't need to know. They shouldn't have to know about lightning channel capacity or, you know, routing or, or, or these things. They shouldn't have to know. They should just be spoken to in the terms that they, they need to solve the problem they're trying to solve. Um, and so slash tags just in its most basic form is a way to associate data with keys. And so we, you, we use the concept of a public key pair, the same as you do for Bitcoin. Um, but it's not Bitcoin addresses. It's just pub keys on, on a different curve. You can't send Bitcoin directly to a slash tag. Um, but we'll, there's a caveat to that that I'll get into soon. Um, and we, for the data, we use Hypercore, which is basically a DHT system for uh, you know, having publicly available data that isn't dependent on DNS. And so the idea here is this kind of obsoletes DNS and it obsoletes, you know, other forms of identity, uh, central identity forms, and just any way of having metadata associated with an entity of any kind. It could be a server, it could be a website, it could be a person, whatever you want. Um, and this is another reason why I don't like to use the term identity because people think of it as only for people. Um, but this is for anything, any endpoint, anything you want to represent digitally in the, in the internet or network. So it's, it's just a key and it, a network drive. And this network drive is made out of hypercore. Um, <clears throat> in the wallet, it will, I should also mention, as it turns out, as a primitive, if you have the ability to represent anything as a key and have any key be able to have data associated with it that you can find by only knowing that key. Um, you can basically rebuild the whole web this way and you can have all kinds of use cases. Um, if you add another little primitive to that where I am a key and I have a drive about myself and you are a key and I have a drive about you this ends up becoming a really powerful primitive as well. Like you can definitely pretty much do anything this way that's web related and network related, like chat, private messages, uh, mail, uh, basically anything. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm also going to apologize for a moment. I am like extremely jet lagged and have not been sleeping and All good. I All am good, like super okay. behind on everything. So I'm, I'm trying to keep up here. Um, so in the wallet, um, the way slash tags is represented is in two areas and each area kind of has a subset of features. The first area is where you see at the top where there's like your, your avatar and your, uh, 
your, your profile up there. Mm-hmm. Well, that profile is basically your slash tag. Um, that, so you are a key. And now that avatar that you add and that name that you add and that bio that you add and that link list that you add that are all there as features in your profile, um, those, that's all data inside of your, your network drive, your public drive. And that's a drive that you own and you control and can only be written to by the owner of that key. And so when people look at that data, no matter who provides them with it, they can verify that it came from you and that that your key is the only one that can make that. And so this is a really cool, you know, because it's a DHT and because the data has integrity in this way, it's again, a very interesting primitive because it means anybody can host your data for you, like like a CDN concept. And they can do so trustlessly because again, only you can write the data. So you own your data. And so the thing about BitKit is you're not just owning the keys for your money, you're owning the keys for your data as well. You're owning the keys for your accounts, for your profiles, your contacts. Etc. Um, and and so the idea of Bitcoin is just the ultimate keychain, you know, the ultimate Bitcoin toolkit. Um, and so in the profile section, you notice that you you can just represent yourself as a QR code, and any other slash tag supporting app right now only Bitkit as far as wallets go. Um, we do have several different um, websites and other projects that are supporting different features of slash tags already um, as non wallets, but. Um, you can add people this way. And so what we've done is we've taken the concept of a social media profile or a public profile, and we've kind of conflated it and, and, you know, replaced the concept of a contacts, you know, feature within your phone. Traditionally, your contacts are like, you know, just a private personal database that you have to manage and keep updated yourself. And eventually, you know, it goes stale, you start migrating phones and you end up with this big mess of like, you know, expired contacts with out out of date data inside of them, right? Well, if you if you let people manage their contacts themselves, like a social media profile, then your contact list becomes something that's dynamic. And so when you add somebody else's slash tag into your contacts in BitKit, what you do is all you're doing is you're adding their pub key to your list. And now you're using the slash tags, you know, slash hypercore uh, technology to track their public drive. And whenever they update something in their profile, just like as they would in a centralized database, you automatically see that. And so if I change my photo in my drive and you have me as a contact, you will see as soon as you look at my profile, the next time you look at the list that I have a new photo. You don't have to update my photo. I update my photo. Um, and I update my link list and my bio, et cetera. Um, so it's a cool way that you can now add contacts and have contacts, which is essentially a primitive of later tech we want to do to form a web of trust. And so you're essentially creating your first little personal network of people that are relevant to you. Um, but what's cool in this area is not only can you, uh, use this to establish contacts and have a public profile, but you can use these public profiles anywhere. And so websites that support slash tags can choose to import this profile and use it as the profile in that website. So for example, like Stacker News could, you know, if they want to have a profile feature that is interoperable with any other website, they could implement slash tags profiles and they could just follow your key. And whenever you update your profile in BitKit, it would update on Stacker News. Wow, dude. 
So now yeah. even cooler about this, this category of features is that key and in that drive also has data in there about your payment endpoints. And what I mean by that is in the future, it'll be more things. But right now, all it does is it abstracts any payment methods that you support. And so if you have Bitcoin, uh, like in BitKit, you have on-chain Bitcoin and you have Lightning support as far as like payment methods. Um, in the future, like next year, for example, we'll add the pair credit and we can talk about that later if you want to as well. Um, but um, what it does is when you scan or you you try to pay a contact, which you can do in, in BitKit when you can't do this in other wallets, um, you can pay directly to contact. So when you click send, instead of only having the option, and you can do this, you can still do these options if you want to, of pasting a pub key from Bitcoin or Lightning Invoice, you can actually just choose a contact from your list. And what it does is, instead of asking you if, how you want to pay, it goes and looks at that drive of that user and sees what payment methods they support. And it automatically matches it with the payment method that you support. And you can basically prioritize these and choose the, the preference of, of priority for which ones you would prefer to pay when you can. And in the background, it just matches the payment method. And so when I try to say, I, you know, pay send and I tap on car, what it does is it checks if car, you know, has lightning. And if car does not have lightning, it fetches a on-chain address and it just pays you that way. Oh, wow. So the user is just basically just entering an amount, entering, it's choosing a contact, entering an amount and hitting send. And they don't actually have to know whether or not it's happening on lightning or happening on chain or happening in the future on pair credit or happening over a lightning address or hoping that happening over a pay name or happening over PayPal. You could support literally any different type of payment endpoint that both sides support and interface over that method. And I, as I mentioned right now, BitKit only supports Bitcoin and, and Lightning, but it could theoretically support anything we want. We don't care about, you know, legacy methods and we don't care about shit coins. So our only interest of other payment methods is more Bitcoin payment methods and pair credit, which is a way of, of uh, expressing credit or, or kind of credit tokens without using a blockchain. And so we'll, we'll add that as a method as well. But other people could add whatever they wanted, like for example, PayPal could add slash tag support in their wallet and they could, and if they have Bitcoin support and they have say banking support, two PayPal users could pay with each other through a Venmo user and things would just, the user would only ever see like the dollar amount and it would just use the payment method that they both supported. The payment, method, my payment might happen over Bitcoin. It might happen over Venmo. It might happen over PayPal. So that interoperability, John, methods. like why, why haven't we gotten there faster? Like is, is that, is that on the Bitcoin developers? Like why we haven't got there faster is just that we had to wait for lightning for that to happen. Like what was it about the technology that made us like finally got us there? I guess is like my well, question. Maybe, where? Like to where you're talking about this interoperability on these endpoints where I could just send, you know, to Kyle some, you know, 20, $20 worth of lining or something like, and then he, but he doesn't have, you know, this, but he's using slash tags. Like, like, was it just that technology that finally got us there? Or like, what, what was it that finally got us there to that point where we, now we can do that. Now we just got to go do like the legwork and make all those relationships happen. But like, what, what was it? I could only speculate as to why it hasn't happened before now. Um, 
I'll give you an, one example, but I do think what's more important is how it did happen and, and what inspired us to design this. Um, but as far as speculating as to why it didn't happen, um, well, one example is I tend to notice that a lot of engineer-driven design or protocol developer design is very narrowly focused. And so they, they tend to avoid zooming out and thinking from the user perspective and just thinking directly about the immediate problem within their sphere of relevance. And in my opinion, this is a very limiting and very, I don't know, unfortunate form of design because you end up with, for example, people say, hey, I want I, lightning is cool. I want subscriptions or I want better invoices. And then a lightning dev comes along and makes Bolt 12. And Bolt 12 is cool, but it only solves those problems specifically for people using lightning and specifically only if their implementation supports Bolt 12. And even that has taken years and not gotten off the ground and is not supported by multiple implementations. And, and it's years old. I mean, that was announced and already being worked on back in the original Lightning Conference in Berlin, like three years ago. Um, and so engineers also tend to not have business developers you know, fighting for their designs and, and, and propagating them throughout products. Um, they tend to be working in a silo and just kind of hope their design is so amazing that it naturally propagates. Sometimes that's true. Most times it's not, particularly if the design is not optimal. And so what you end up with is this very specific, same thing is true for LNURL, by the way. LNURL is really cool concept of abstracting things. It's, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, features within LNURL specs that overlap with slash tag specs. But in my, you know, impossible to be unbiased opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. They're inferior to how slash tags handles them um, because again, they're narrowed in scope to the lightning context. And the problem is we have so many different payment methods just within Bitcoin and lightning alone. You have, you know, we have HTLC channels. We're going to have PTLC channels. You have Bolt 11, you have Bolt 12, you have lightning address, you have LN URL, and that's just within lightning. And then on Bitcoin, you have legacy addresses, you have Segway addresses, you're going to have taproot addresses. Maybe you're also going to want to support tarot and tarot, you know, whatever, however they're doing addresses. And you're going to have all these different things and all these different incompatible payment methods and no way to abstract or negotiate them. And so instead of doing something like Bolt 12, where you only solve a subset of these problems, or like an URL, where you only solve a subset of these problems specifically for Lightning users, the proper approach is to zoom all the way out and say, well, now that we can do all this stuff, how do we solve the problem finally? You know, how do we solve the problem best? And that's what we're trying to do, at least with slash tags and what we call the slash pay features is saying, hey, well, why don't we just tell people all the methods we support and where they can get the info they need to pay for all those methods. And so slash these, these profiles support these drives for slash tags support you know, listing all these endpoints so people can learn how to pay you. And this can be dynamic. It can change every time you check. And then, you know, you can have, hey, here's the lightning node you pay me at when I have my phone open. Here's the lightning node you pay me at when I have my phone closed, like my home node. Or here's the 
the custodian that you can pay me at when neither of those is available. You can, you can put anything you want in there. And I think it solves the problem much more elegantly. And the same is true for wanting to have invoices that express more data and wanting to have uh, subscriptions that are more powerful and can be automated way more powerful. And you can do much more things more elegantly if you do it with these primitives instead of trying to continually convince lightning protocol implementations to support your narrow solution. Yeah. Sorry for the rant. No, <laughs> dude, I, I love the explanation. I, I think you're, I think you're dead on when you're talking about not zooming out uh, from a lot of these developers. Um, like, yeah, totally. That, 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 that sounds exactly like a couple friends I know. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> I, I, and I want to, I'm not trying to shit talk. While, no, while no, me dude, no, the protocol it, developers I mean, don't always have the best relationship. Code, right? For the I most do part. appreciate that. They do know better than I about many things. Absolutely. Um, I, I just feel like um, these are something, it's not all things. And there's sometimes a better way to do things. No, it, um, it's, it's, it's yeah, really they, fascinating though, that, that, that what you're describing is basically this, um, this wallet that, that I can give, you know, to, to just my aunt, uh, somebody who's heard of Bitcoin or whatever, and I can send her Bitcoin. Maybe she just, maybe she has like a Venmo or something and, and maybe that's connected to that endpoint. And then she sees it, you know, on her Venmo or, but at least it's, it's a bridge there. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way to get there. If so be it, if that's where we have to go. Um, I, I think also another thing, are you guys coming out with a, with a web browser, uh, like, uh, widget as, as well, or is that just something I saw somewhere else? Not quite sure what you mean. Um, we, well, we're, we're going to jump because I only explained half of the slash tags features in, okay. in BitKit and there's another half. But as far as web goes, well, the first thing I'll mention that's relevant is we have a website called slash tags.to um, slash tags.to. And within that website, not only can you learn all about all the things slash tags can do and find all the code and, and the, all this kind of stuff, you can also uh, visit the playground and there's a playground there, which is a bunch of demo apps that allow you to kind of demonstrate both how to wield some of the current capabilities of slash tags and how to express them, you know, as a user experience in a UI, but also like test them and interact with them using BitKit. So you can see how a website can do things like import your profile from BitKit and use it. Um, you can do things like see how you can uh, import a widget which is part of the other subset of features that, that slash tags powers. I guess I meant, I guess I so, meant a plugin. I think I meant a plugin on it's been, it's early over here. Uh, like, are you, are you well, creating I, a plugin? A long well? time ago, like when we like first announced plugin? the company, we had, we did have a browser wallet and kind of like Albi or such. And we had a project where we were experimenting with that and so we were going to support slash tags there. Um, we kind of paused and, and, potentially gave up on that project for now because I just, honestly, I felt like Albi was doing a better job like in the space. And I felt like that, you know, they were putting so much work into it and it's such a risky space. I didn't feel like it was made sense to compete over, you know, a small amount of users. I would rather see them flourish and see how we can get them to, you know, support some of the cool things that we wanted to do in their wallet. And, and that's how, you know, we handled that. Um, 
but yeah, as far as plugins or, or what we would call, I guess we would call them widgets. That could be a good segue to talking about the other set of features in yeah. the kit that are powered by slash tags. Um, so I mentioned the, the profiles, I mentioned the contacts, I mentioned the paying, the, you know, paying to contacts. And now you'll notice in the middle section of BitKit, there's this area called widgets. Well, what widgets are, are instead of, you know, like I mentioned, slash tags are not just IDs, right? They're, they're anything. And so they're also widgets. And what these widgets are is these are drives, which are, again, are just keys that have data that they, only those keys can write to that act as data feeds. And so these data feeds can be a lot of different things. And we, we've started to demonstrate that through some of the canned widgets that come with BitKit and the widgets that are, you can add to, Bit, add to BitKit in the slash tags playground that I mentioned. So you can see how you can basically, anybody can create a widget that can be added to BitKit, not just us. They're served through this DHT network and any widget that you see in BitKit, you could see in any other app that wanted to add it as well. So say, for example, if Breeze wanted to add slash tag support, they could make it so that when their users scanned our price feed widget, that that price feed widget would work in, in Breeze. And then people could see that. So right now we have four widgets. Um, we have the, the Bitcoin price widget, which is just us providing a data feed of the current uh, Bitfinex price. And you can see how what we do with that data is we use it to now render a little temporary chart of the recent price. And you can do this because, again, this data drive is made out of an append-only log. And so that means there's history in there. And so you can look at the, the prior prices and you can draw a chart out of them. And so we do that in BitKit. And we sh so we show this is one thing you could do with a with a slash tags feed. Um, then we have the Bitcoin headlines widget, which is just an aggregator that we made of RSS feeds of popular Bitcoin websites and popular Bitcoin news sites. So we have Stacker News in there. We have uh, Bitcoin Magazine. We have you know various RSS feeds and we compile them. And so whenever you open the app, you can see the latest headline and you can just tap on it to visit that article and it will open the web browser at that article. And so this is just a, an RSS aggregator feed. But again, any app could add this. So you can start to see how you could basically build an entire app this way. You can have a whole, an actual DAP where all of the parts are coming from wherever you want them to come from. Um, the other two widgets we have are the Bitcoin blocks widget, which is just displaying recent Bitcoin block data. So it says like, you know, the size of the block, how many transactions are in it, when it happened, you know, just the, the block height. It just gives information about the Bitcoin network. Um, and so the final one is Bitcoin facts. And that's just a data Everybody feed loves of fun miscellaneous. Facts, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just miscellaneous data. And so, it, you know, you can just see a random fact in there when you open the app. And it's just little simple things about Bitcoin that people might find interesting, like Bitcoin trivia, kind of. Um, but these are just the, the, the plain data feed ideas that we're showing. There's a whole other part of this that's cool as well, where you can now use slash tags as accounts. And so say, for example, and, and this works, you're probably familiar with Ellen Markets which is like a, a, a trading website with, with high leverage. You can go 100x and, and go 100x and go broke. Um, well, they recently added support for slash tags authentication, similar to LNURL authentication. But the difference in how it works is 
both sides authenticate. So you don't need to necessarily trust the domain itself as you do with an URL. You trust that the key of that domain. And so when when Ellen when you log into Ellen Markets, you are act, Ellen Markets is proving they're still the same key as they were last time. And even if their domain got censored and you visited them at a new domain, you would they could still prove that they are who who they were before. So it kind of removes it provides a little bit of censorship resistance on the domain level. Um, and you prove you who you are by your key, you they prove you you cross authenticate and then when they log you in, now they're they're treating you as a key instead of a username or an email address that you are your slash tag and so if they want to they can now import your profile and they can use that um, as your profile in ellen markets if they want to ellen markets doesn't do this at the moment but starbacker for example does starbacker.com they've also implemented slash tags authentication and so you can log into websites with this and have an account with this but there's a few more cool features about this. Um, one is it, once you do support this, you can support tapping to log in. So yeah, scanning a QR code is cool. Like it's, I don't like to type and memorize passwords and, and, or use a password manager and trust that. And, you know, I don't like having to use email and share my personal information with these websites and get spam. Uh, I can just be a key. And What's cool is once you know the key, we can actually automatically authenticate in the background. So in BitKit, once you've added, say, your Ellen Markets account, in the future, if you want to, you can just open BitKit, tap on Ellen Markets, and log in. Really? And, and it automatic, oh, wow. Yeah. No it, scanning? It'll automatically authenticate you. Yeah, no scanning. And you could do that right now. Like you, you could literally, it will take you like three seconds. If you open up Ellen Markets, register, scan the QR code, and then you'll see it, it creates a widget in BitKit. Wow. Um, and you now, now you have an Ellen Markets widget. And if you just double tap that widget, you're logged in to Ellen Markets on your phone. Wow, that's so cool, man. And then the final cool thing, which we will demonstrate soon, is you can have account feeds. And so if you take the concept of like these data feeds that I explained of those other widgets, and now you think of it as a data feed about you, that is from your account on Ellen Markets. Ellen Markets could, and they haven't implemented this yet. Um, we're going we're gonna to push them to do this. Maybe the listening to this will be, influence them to do it faster. But what they could do is they can make a data feed of the info in your Ellen Markets account. And so you could open BitKit and you could see, oh, here's how much Bitcoin I have. Here's the latest Bitcoin block data. Oh, and here is my balance on Ellen Markets. Or here yeah. is my current profit and loss on my current trade on Ellen Markets. And you can be like, oh, shit, I'm at, you know, I've made 50,000 sats. Let me log in. And you just double tap to log in and close your trade. And so it's a way to see all of your accounts in any way the website wants to express to you through a widget inside of BitKit. You know what? You know what, John? You know, it just hit me right now, but this is a better way of making wallets and using this method as opposed to like one wallet trying to do everything. Like just let the user decide what they want to do, right? Like this is like plain as day. Like, like, of course, this is the way to do it. It's like, just get like it's if at least I want to use feature that most wallets haven't done before. Yeah, you know? like you know what I mean. Like if I want to use Stacker News, but I want to see Stacker News on my wallet, like th- that solves that, right? Like once he implements it, like it, there's th- this 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 way of uh, of of thinking about uh, like these widgets. Um, 
Yeah. It always kind of bothered me a little that a lot of wallets in the past had this tendency to try to be like a super app. We're just going to add every feature in here. Right. And on the surface, you could say, oh, that's kind of what this feels like. But the difference is that we only have to support each wallet only has to support the widget types they want to, and each user only has to add the widgets they want to. So they kind of decide what their wallet is on their own. And if they don't like the Bitcoin facts widget, they don't have See to you later. It yeah. and delete it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's actually, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of, there's a lot of thoughtfulness in, into this uh, wallet, dude. Uh, it's very The cool thoughtful. part for me is I wanted it to be a wallet where I could see into all my accounts. Like if I have a Bitfinex account, if I have an Ellen Markets account, if I have a Stacker News account, I want to see my balances for all of them all in one place. I want to see current data for any of the ones I'm interested in in one place. I want to see, you know, how my trade is doing on Bitfinex at the same time that I'm seeing how many tips I got on Stacker News today. Or, you know, I just want to see all of my Bitcoin income and assets in one yeah. place. Yeah. And then you're giving the, like uh, the fact that people can go there and create their own widgets, like opens it up to the possibilities of anybody, you know, um, doing And, it, and it's also in a way that you don't have to trust us. Right. Like, right. Like, like synonym, our company, Bitkit, we don't see your account data from your Ellen markets account. If they make an account feed or your Bitfinex account, it's, it's a data feed for you that only your key is, you know, uh, accessing and they've made a key for you to be able to follow the data. It's not something that is like, uh, that we, we can snoop on you about, you know, now you can have public feeds and your, your public profile. If people learn your pub key can be shared by others and, and, and it is, you know, public in an additive way, but you can do things private. You can do things encrypted and, you know, anything you might want to be able to do or might be concerned about with this is addressable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, this is pretty, yeah, this is pretty, this is pretty neat. What I was going to ask you, um, as far as like the, uh, as far as like the landscape right now in the space, yeah, you mentioned Albi. I, I feel like they're doing just a great job on the, on the plugin, on the web browser. Um, so in, in, I guess in theory, could I add like a out, like once they add slash tags or create a widget, could I add, could I see my Albi balance in here too as well? Or would that, how that uh, would so work? This, this is a little bit tricky. The, the short answer is probably, um, but the, the subtlety here is Albi isn't a wallet itself. It's a remote. And so where does the data live? And so you either need to be hosting your own uh, slash tag drive somewhere on your own server, and then you can act, and then Albi sees that, or Albi needs to be relaying that data into a feed, you know. Oh, okay. And so there's some there's some trickiness here. Running a slash tags drive, you know, infrastructure inside of a web browser is one. It, it's possible, but there are some caveats to it. And so we, it's not fully possible at the moment. Yeah. Cause just, um, cause you can put it in any wallet running, inside of Alpi, right? You can just throw any wallet in there. If I remember. Well, well you can add any lightning node. Yeah. You can't, then that's all you can do. Yeah. You yeah. can't, it, w- there isn't a key manager inside of Alpi. And right. so it's thus, it's not actually like a, a keychain wallet. And so there are some limitations as to what you could do there, but you know, we could solve those problems. They could choose to make Albi a keychain wallet as well if they wanted or slash tags keychain if they wanted. Um, but the other option would be you could also host your own Cedar 
basically you could have your own drive and you could be on the DHT and then you could make your own widget of your own data if you wanted to. And so we, we plan to make all of these things easier over time for people. And we have a lot of cool stuff in store for next year. But in general, the specific example you just mentioned happens to be one of the trickier ones. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, so Keith, dude, is, is that y'all too? Or, or who, who is that? Is that, that part of the same so we're like a family of companies um and so uh whole whole punch the company that makes key is part of the the family of kind of companies doing the whole next web work um and so they're focusing uh they're the guys that are mostly working on hypercore uh we specialize in slash tags um and we specialize in bitcoin and lightning stuff and their specialization as far as web stuff instead of being on the you know uh the the metadata associated with keys layer is on live communications and so they use the same underlying technology to be able to do chat to be able to do live video and this kind of thing and so their their approach is a little bit different in that they're specializing in a certain subset of the features of hypercore um but we're that's kind of on purpose like they're trying to specialize in the areas we're not specialized and vice versa. So the idea here is that, you know, in a year or two from now, all of this stuff is kind of working together and, and not indistinguishable, but uh, interoperable. And so you'll see slash tags working as your accounts in key in 2023. You'll see, you know, maybe some chat features powered by key yeah. and synonym products in 2023. So the idea here is that, this stuff, as I, as I pointed out with the widgets, is totally modular and kind of serverless and decentralized. Or Decentralized is kind of a, a weird term for this, but it, it's peer-to-peer. Um, and so because it's peer-to-peer and modular and, and not you know, controlled by a third-party server, you can pretty much do anything that you would, want, that you would hope to be able to do in a self-sovereign or interoperable way. Yeah, yeah. Uh- We've been using it around the office, dude, like to dump files. So like even just like a, go on a video call real quick. Um, it's freaking fast, man. Like it, it, it does, it does video, video calling and tra- file transfers really, really freaking well. Like I would say as good. I, I, honestly, not, I didn't even know it did file transfers. Dude, like <laughs> if, if not, if not, I would say even better than telegram, like file transferring, like on, on telegram, like is a thing, but like on Keat, it's just faster. And then the video call is just way superior than telegram, obviously. Um, but it's, it's fascinating how, how this technology uh, you said hypercore, right? Like how this is, kind of the 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 uh the foundation for a lot of this stuff it's it's quite remarkable well it's really a a kind of you know for lack of a more positive term like a perfect storm where we finally have a lot of situations like in place that were weren't really in place or convenient to to combine in the past like for example a big one is nobody cared about storing keys before like we had pgp and we had different methods of using keys for endpoints or identities for a long long time and they never took off but because bitcoin was invented everybody's learning about keys and what key 
what public private key pairs are. And everybody has a keychain in their hand, uh, uh, you know, a key pair, you know, to, uh, a cryptographic keychain in their hand. Cause that's all a Bitcoin wallet is. It's a keychain and a signer. Um, and so now that people have this in their hands, we can say, okay, well you, now you, now you understand what keys are. Let, let us show you all the things you can do with keys and let us show you what happens when you combine that with this other cool tech that BitTorrent uses a DHT. And let me show you what's cool. If you combine keys with the DHT with append only logs. And now you can start showing how all blockchain use cases are useless because an append only log does the same thing without the bullshit. Like, the, and you have this, all these cool texts that when you combine them intelligently, um, you can pretty much solve all the problems that you might want to. Yeah, dude, it's, uh, it kind of removes a lot of these poo-poo coins, man, in one swoop. It's, that's always, that's always hilarious to see, like, they just get obsolete really, really fast. <laughs> well, it's one of the side goals of Synonym. You'll, you'll see that um, in our website, we have like this design principles area and we use these as kind of rules for how we make decisions. And one of them is related to, you know, Bitcoin only or Bitcoin, not blockchain kind of thing. And and what that means is we want to show you how you can solve problems without a blockchain. And that literally the only thing you need a blockchain for is Bitcoin and everything else can be solved better in other ways. Yeah. So tell me about pair credit. I, I heard about it on Second News first, but what, what exactly is it and how will it get uh, implemented into BitKit? So as you may know, and some people will know, I've actually been like on the front lines of trying to make tokens you know, happen on Lightning and on Bitcoin or reviving them on Bitcoin at least for quite some time. Give um, us a history real quick, just that. a quick uh, little history lesson on how they were implemented. Because wasn't there colored coins or something like that at some point before my time? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the oldest projects were called colored coins. Um, and this was a way of basically, you know, painting a Bitcoin transaction to attribute extra data to it. And there was this guy named Flavian and his project was called Coin Prism. Um, and he was, and I was like, I, I met him. I was very interested even back then. And I was like very interested in this. I had high hopes. I was like, this is cool. Um, and for some reason it kind of died off and he, I don't know if he failed. I, I didn't ever find out why it stopped, but the whole concept of colored coins kind of dropped away kind of when there was this whole huge Bitcoin securities movement and there were all these like Bitcoin securities website. The funny thing is like Bit we've literally done all the things shitcoin has tried to do before they did and they just don't realize it and Fun they fact. think they're so smart. But <laughs> what happened was we did them so early that they got squashed in very more, much more direct ways. Like when all Bitcoiners were trying to like essentially like do ICOs and, and securities, we weren't doing them on chain, but we were doing them but then the SEC started calling people and telling them to stop <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they stopped <laughs> and, and then, but when shitcoiners did it, the SEC didn't call anybody <laughs> and so they didn't stop. Um, but anyway, that, that's a side. Dang dude, that's crazy. I didn't know that. That's um, crazy. Yeah. And I think around this, I, I think maybe some of the ideas for, for, for colored coins, some of their interest was maybe probably doing security securities because there was a little popular boom in them in the Bitcoin culture back then. And maybe that's partly why they kind of faded in interest, but they didn't die. Um, after colored coins, two things happened. You had Omni 
Um, and yeah. you had, uh, what's the other one? Counterparty. And these are very similar projects. The difference being that Counterparty actually has like a native token that you have to use to be able to like create tokens. And so there's a little bit of a shitcoiny aspect. And there was basically like this buy-in, like you had to, I think you had to burn Bitcoins to be able to get counterparty tokens. And so there's, you know, kind of early stage ICO shitcoiny behavior there. Um, but it did use Bitcoin in the end. And so this was, it, this was, and I think still is, it works, um, a way to create tokens, um, using Bitcoin, but also using this kind of shitcoiny thing. Um, and counterparty also was the original place where NFTs uh, were created. This really? is where all the, the yeah, where we're rare, rare pepes that was uh, all done on counterparty. And again, Bitcoiners did it first. Um, and those are the, you know, vintage NFTs. Um, and I think they recently were you know selling these things for a lot of money during the NFT boom. Um, so that's a little bit of history on tokens for counterparty. And then you had Omni and Omni is where Tether was born. And so Tether was born on Bitcoin. Once again, stable coins were invented, you know, on Bitcoin, <laughs> not on shit coins. Yeah, right, um, yeah. And uh, what happened with Omni was um, they, it's where Tether was born. And Omni is cool because it's actually the first, as far as I know, the first actual Bitcoin layer before Lightning. And because it's Omni is Bitcoin transactions with extra data that is in, encoded data into the op return that lets people know how to parse that data in the Omni network using an Omni node. And so kind of like Lightning, every transaction is made out of a Bitcoin transaction. It's just that in this layer, there's extra data that's encoded for you to know information about what the, which token is in there and how much of that token is in there and this kind of thing. And this is how Tether, and Tether was you know released as a product using Omni layer as a format. But as Tether became popular, um, was also around the time that Bitcoin blocks started to become full and fees started to go up. And right around that same time, Ethereum, you know, was getting popular for ICO tokens. And so what happened was Tether decided to also issue using Ethereum. And at the time, the Ethereum transactions were still very cheap, unlike now um, or unlike recently. And so what happened was the growth of Tether migrated and mostly started happening on shitcoins. And the reason for this is just the expense of Bitcoin. And this will, kind of, this will always express as a problem eventually, probably also for Tarot as well. Um, and the problem is, is that you know, alternative use cases for Bitcoin don't necessarily scale with Bitcoin if the blocks become full. And so this ends up happening on every chain. You see this with Ethereum with, they started to use Ethereum for lots of NFTs. The problem with like an NFT will kill a blockchain. If NFT becomes, if NFTs become block popular, what ends up happening is they end up taking so much weight and they end up increasing the fees so much because of all this uniqueness that inevitably the cost to move an NFT rises above the cost of the value of the NFT. And they become basically, you know, worthless. <laughs> um, be, you know, you, you can't really move, you can't move them at least. They're more of a sentimental value, which is true about most shitcoin uh, use cases, they're more sentimental value than actual value. Um, 
so yeah, the history there is, you know, then stable coins became popular on Ethereum, which made them, and then Ethereum started to get more expensive. So they became popular on Tron, et cetera. And it just keeps moving down the, the chains to the cheapest one. And then once that cheap one becomes popular, it becomes expensive and they move to the next cheapest one, et cetera. And so Tether's, you know, approach was to just always, you know, launch a version of their token or their stable coin on whatever the most popular chain was that people demanded it. Um, and so that's the history of tokens up to, um, when I actually got directly involved. Um, I, when I actually got directly involved was I think 2018, um, maybe 2019, but I think 2018, um, when I was working at BitRefill. and we had a, a company meetup and I, made the mistake of asking the question, Hey, could we do tokens on lightning? And Justin Camarena and Sergey were standing there with me and they said, yeah, I don't see any reason why you couldn't. Um, and that was it. That was like the end of it for me. I was like, Oh, if we can do tokens on lightning, then we can do gift card tokens and we can have tokens at retail and we could do like credit as tokens. And we, you know, this is just, we can like basically decentralize tether because now everybody can issue credit and it won't just be stable coins. They can be tokens that are gift cards, tokens that are, you know, Netflix tokens that are, uh, coffee tokens or monthly subscription tokens. You could, and I'm just like, my mind started going wild and I was like, okay, I have to make this happen. And so I ended up not much later at a conference in um, Malta where I had, I had learned a little bit about RGB and um, what Giacomo and those guys were doing. And uh, they happened to, be, happened to be Giacomo and uh, Paolo Arduino from Tether and Bifinex um, and Oleg from Fulgur Ventures. These are all kind of important stakeholders in these kinds of ideas and projects. And they happened to all be there and they happened to all agree to me asking them all to have a meeting there at the conference to discuss putting tokens on lightning using RGB. Um, and that was like the next progression of at least my journey with tokens on bringing them back to Bitcoin and bringing them to lightning. At the time, I think RGB maybe had some ideas about doing it, but at, till then, there was nobody, you know, other than me caring about bringing tokens to Lightning. And, and uh, coincidentally enough, that's also when I met Ryan Gentry um, before he worked at Lightning Labs. Oh, wow, really? He was a, yeah, he, he was a researcher. I met him at a different conference, not this conference, but around the same time. I met him, I think, maybe in New York. Um, and he was representing uh, multi-bag capital. Um, multi multi coin capital, um, and he was doing lightning research for them, and I was like, you know, chewing his ear off, telling him all about all these ideas about lightning tokens and how, what I wanted to do with BitRefill, and he, he found it intriguing, and um, he was one of the few people who didn't think I was crazy, so that that's how we kind of got to know each other, and and we always, we had a lot of private conversations, and so I've known Ryan throughout the years. I I mention all this because I know he lives in Austin as well. Yeah, he's he's him. he's been one of the just. just just shout out Ryan. Like he's been one of the early guys that have helped blah, blah, blah along the way. Like you would meet with Kyle and, and us there and help us as much as you can. He was supposed to do a tarot workshop this week, but uh, we had to reschedule. Yeah. Very, very year. nice guy. Yeah. He's yeah. It, like he's a real one. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't, but yeah, so, so like, yeah maybe going into, go ahead. Sorry. So what, what happened? So like you, you had this idea and then, you know, you, I guess you, you ended up like, brought it, brought it to Bitfinex, right? Is that how that worked or like, 
Yeah, I apologize for going to so much detail. Hopefully, it's no, no, this is fascinating. But I will continue. Um, and so, yeah, uh, we, I, I convinced, you know, Bitfinex and, um, or Paulo specifically, um, and Oleg at Fulgur Ventures to, you know, basically fund RGB to keep it alive. Because at the time, um, right around then, the, the main developer had left to get a job at Blockstream. And so there was a bit of uncertainty as to what the future of RGB was even going to look like. And, this, and then this kind of happened incidentally and revived it immediately. So um, there were some processes for like, you know, getting uh, Alakos, who was the, the, the guy that left and, and now who works at BDK, um, for getting Alakos Fellini to help with the handoff and maybe help a little bit with this transition to making RGB focus on, you know, being compatible with Lightning and having tokens from RGB be something that was, you know, the, the main goal being to make them happen on Lightning. Because um, RGB has, a, you know, it's an on-chain thing. It has uh, various, a lot of other, you know, goals that could, it could be done with it. And so my goal was to make this the focus. And so I was kind of acting as a, I don't know, informal project manager of the effort to get RGB to be on lightning. And then we ended up hiring Maxime Arlovsky. Um, and, th- and this kind of happened very quickly and incidentally. And, Eventually, that relationship between he and I and the way the project was moving, moving forward just was not healthy. And I decided to stop supporting RGP. And we actually put a decent amount of time into understanding it, into trying to, hoping to try to implement it. But it was really never ready. And really to this day, as far as lightning goes, isn't really ready. And so that, I think I made the right decision in dropping it. Um, and what we did was we moved on to researching and implementing Omnibolt. And Omnibolt was a way of taking the Omni layer that I mentioned earlier and making a lightning network out of that. And so what they did was they forked uh, LND to, uh, to support Omni layer and allow you to use Omni transactions, you know, Bitcoin, Omni Bitcoin transactions to make Omni Bitcoin channels. So you could have basically a lightning network dedicated to any specific token. And there are trade-offs here and that this design is very different than Tarot or how RGB would have implemented tokens. But there's also positive aspects to the trade-offs in that, for example, if you have a bunch of people that want to transact Tether instantly using a Lightning Network format, they could all create a Lightning Network of Tether and they could all do so very you know, relevantly and very cheaply together. Um, where it gets complicated is now if you have, say, USDC, and that ends up actually effectively being another separate Lightning Network. And so to bridge these networks, you would have to do things kind of similar to what Taro does to having bridge nodes to gap Taro over the Lightning Network, except so now you, do, you have to do all this atomic swapping. And, but, the, but in the end, I, I do feel like there's a lot of... Uh, as far as if you're going to make Lightning a dependency for tokens, I think that the trade-offs are even. In other words, I think the Omnibolt design is just as good as the Tower design, and it just depends on what your trade-offs are. I might even lean towards the Omnibolt design. But what happened was we implemented it in our wallet, we tested it, and we were actually going to double down. We were going to say, okay, let's, let's actually... Uh, try to fund this entire team and make sure this thing stays alive. Let's start funding more Omni layer on the base layer developers and make sure that thing's kept alive. 
but there were some things that I didn't really like about it. And like, it t- as it turns out, like there were some centralization aspects of the Omnia base layer that I didn't like. There was a lot of commitment we would have had to make to like invest in these teams and it'd be like, and there was a whole lot of business development I was going to have to do to convince exchanges who had already kind of started to deprecate their support for Omni layer. I was going to have to go out there and convince them to, to keep it, to add it. And now to also double down and add lightning and add Omnibolt lightning. <laughs> and it was like, okay, this is going to be hard, but I'm willing to do it because I believe in the idea of lightning tokens this much. And then I started talking with lightning labs and they started telling me about how, you know, uh, I, Lalu was saying how he saw a tweet from me where I said, RGB is dead and that I, you know, I'm no longer going to support it and blah, blah, blah. And this ended up being, from what he told me, and I'm sure it wasn't the only inspiration, but he, he did tell me that this was an inspiration for him to make what he dubbed CMYK. <laughs> and yeah. CMYK was basically how he thought tokens on Lightning should be done. And he, and he made a design for this. And they started sharing this design with us at Synonym for feedback, and I'm sure with many other people. And we started to try to give our feedback on CMYK. And, you know, one of my feedbacks and and kind of criticisms about it was that the narratives that they were using, that they had, they were planning to use when they announced it were, um, trying to paint designs like Omni and Omnibolt as bad and inferior. And they were trying to paint and still do, in my opinion, paint some of the trade-offs and downsides of their design as upsides. And this, then I tried to make some comments about how these things kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And then when they launched Taro and announced it publicly, they did not incorporate any of my comments. And they basically showed me that what the situation was going to be was there was going to be a narrative war. There was going to be a business development war. And it was basically going to be crazy John convincing people to add old you know, Omni and, <clears throat> and big bad Omni bolt that lightning labs says is bad. Um, you know, competing with lightning labs, having raised $70 million and having the most popular lightning implementation saying that their, um, their design for tokens on lightning is a gift from God. And I'm like, okay, like, do I really want to fight that fight? And this made me reexamine everything. I was just like, fuck man, like uh, this, this all feels wrong. Like if Lightning Labs thinks the design that we're working on is bad and let's assume I agree, let's assume they're right. And if I think there's bad things about their design, what's wrong? Like why, why, why is my dream of having, you know, instant tokens on Bitcoin? Uh, it's, it's kind of not blowing up in my face, but turning extremely you know, complicated. And so I ended up having like this, like, this call with Apollo and I was like, man, like I'm, I'm about to hire this whole army bolt team. I'm about to double down. And I had, now I have lightning labs over here, like, you know, shitting in my, my cereal. And like, and I'm like, what? And I was like, and, he, and I was like, and I'm sorry. And I said to Paula, I'm sorry to wonder, like, if this is, if any of these designs are good at all, and if we should even be using a blockchain at all for this, because remember this is now not by now, synonym exists and we are you know trying to do things without a blockchain and we're we're showing how you can do a, a lot of different things with slash tags and hypercore and and such and and obsolete a lot of blockchain things you know and this is early 2022 these. or is this early 2021 when this was going on 
Well, this is March of this year. March, okay. um, what I'm what I'm talking about right now. Um, in March of this year, we were at a decision you know point where we were going to double down and do all the things I just explained with Omnibolt, and and it was around and, and it's around the same time that Lightning Labs announced yeah. Taro. Um, granted, we had known about Taro since the year before, um, and and. I was okay with Taro as long as they were going to play nicely. In other words, I could always say, hey, we'll support Omnibolt and Taro, you know, like, well, or at the time we were calling it CMYK. I was like, we'll support CMYK and, and, uh, RGB. It's not a big deal. We'll figure out the UX, whatever. Um, and we'll see what people, what wins, you know. But as I saw how the narrative war was going to play out, and as I saw how the design issues were bothering me, I, I had this conversation with Paulo in March and I was like, man, like, and I said, I'm not even sure if we should be using a blockchain at all for this. And I'm starting to wonder what the optimal design really is. And then he said to me, well, John, what are the, what are your requirements? Like, what do you actually need out of this? And I explained, I said, all I really need is a way for people to trade tokens peer to peer where they don't have to ask the issuer for, for permission. What I need is for the assumption to be that the only person that I trust with a token is the issuer and I don't have to trust anybody else. I don't care. And I, and I need this to be instant. And I, I don't, I don't care about I, the, the blockchain is not a requirement. The blockchain is just what I thought was necessary to make this possible. Like Bitcoin gives you a digital bear instrument and that's why Tether is so useful because people could send it to each other. They could send dollars to each other, or at least dollar IOUs to each other without asking a bank for permission. And they could do it on a Sunday. They could do it at 1 a.m. They could do it between China and the U.S. Like they could do it however they wanted. It was borderless. Granted, there's some ability for an issuer to censor tokens on any blockchain. So we accepted that. We said, okay, well, as long as we know that the issuer always has to be trusted and they can always choose not to redeem the thing, um, do we actually need a blockchain? And what Paulo said was, you know, I had thought about this this in the past and I have a design where I think that, you know, we could do something like this using Hypercore. And so he, after that call, he ended up having a conversation with Matthias at Hole Punch, the, the key, the uh, company that makes key, and also Matthias, the guy that um, you know is a major contributor and creator with Hypercore. Um, and they worked together, and they said, "Yeah, this design could work." And they started making the design in March or April or immediately. And so we completely flipped switches. We just said, all right, fuck it. We're not going to, we're going to drop Omnibolt. We're dropping Omni. Fuck it. You know, we don't, we're not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go all in and just trust, you know, that Paulo and Matias understand the, the requirements and understand, you know, what I'm going for and what they're from, what they've described to me about what they plan to create sounds perfect. Um, and we said the same thing about Taro. We said, fuck it. We're not going to support Taro either. We're just going to say, look, we could always later decide to go and support Taro or Omnibolt or whatever thing that doesn't even exist yet. And that, you know, gets released two years from now in BitKit in our wallet, if we want to, if, you know, if something becomes popular and the, the, the status quo, we can always support it later. We don't need to be the people to be on the front lines, taking the risks, being the first ones to implement it. Like we've been trying to do with RGB, like we would have to do if we supported Tarot early. We're not doing that anymore. We're not, you know, there are many lessons that we've learned where we just decided we do not accept third party dependencies that do not exist yet. 
we will not be the first people. Um, so that's what I tell, you know, uh, Taro when they, or lightning labs, when they ask me what I think or what, I, what my plans are. And that's what I tell Omnibolt and whoever else asks me, I say, yeah, maybe we'll support it. We'll support it when our users need it, but we're not going to be, we're not going to help you make it popular. Let me ask so, you a question I, I, real, real quick, real quick. I don't mean to cut you off. I, I, I kind of want your, just your advice on this. Like, and this is just kind of what I've seen. You know, I've only been in the space for, you know, full time for a year. Um, we're, we're trying to do a lot of, you know, crazy things that other people think is just like crazy and stuff. Um, so I understand what you're going through. It, I guess my question is, has the Bitcoin space always been like this when it comes to like framing and when it comes to like a uh, narrative shift and like everybody just piles on one another, I tend to see that happen, not only in the dev space, but I see it happen like on our, on our side, I see it happen just like in general, like it, has it always been like this? Or is it just the way we, just how business is conducted these days? I think from one perspective, all of the way things are, have always been the way they are. And what happens is, is as Bitcoin grows, they, they mutate and express a little bit differently. Like with each bull market, with each bear, bear, bear bull cycle, they kind of evolve into the, but they're the same thing. It's like an echo. You know, and an echo, you know, distorts every time it rings, but it's still echoing. And so, for example, um, Bitcoiners have always been tribal. Um, shitcoiners have always been tribal. Humans have always been tribal. And so when you are part of a group, you defend that group and you will even defend it irrationally. And you will even defend irrational decisions within that group because the, the, the stability and the security of the group is a higher value than you, you know, causing tension within the group often. Um, another example, uh, this is more of a lesson that I think I've learned, but I think is a good thing to, to keep in mind. I no longer believe that there's such thing as collaboration. I think that collaboration is ultimately compromise. And what, what happens is the only like true form of, of, of collaboration is when two people already want the same thing. Um, if they already want the same thing, they'll work on it together because they're not competing, right? They are, they want the same thing, but most of the time, everything is actually a competition. Even oftentimes when you want the same thing, you're competing for that thing or the, the gains that may happen when you achieve that thing. And so everything is kind of a competition. Everything is a game and there's no such thing as pure collaboration or altruistic collaboration because in the end, you're always going to end up in a situation where you have to make a decision. And when there's disagreement, somebody is always going to lose the decision, right? There's always going to be somebody having to compromise. And the problem with this, when it comes to projects, and businesses and visions related to projects and businesses is everybody has their own vision and nobody, very few people have the same vision. And even when they do, as I said, they're competing on the same vision. <laughs> and so the idea of collaboration is much more nuanced and complex and tricky 
than people like to make it sound. And I think this is an important thing to think about when you think about FOSS projects and open source projects, you know, like they're not as beautiful and kumbaya as people make them sound. Like if you go and, and get in the trenches with protocol developers on a project um, or a FOSS project, you'll see it's a total fucking pissing contest. It's a total ego maniacal, you know, pit. Like it's not like, uh, it's not this glorious, you know, you, the, uh, you know, utopia where people are all holding hands and working towards the benevolence of man. That is not what's happening. They all have their own incentives. They all have their own goals. They all have their own vision. They all have their own thing they're trying to get accomplished. Um, and they're not all the same. And so I'm ranting a little bit, but I hope that at least kind of answers your question. Yeah. That answers my question. Yeah. It's just something I've seen, you know, and then just talking to people come to realize it's, yeah, it's kind of always been like this. But um yeah, like like getting people to support slash tags. This is a, a huge thing that we have to do, right? I think that the incentives are there. I think that it is a very useful and powerful format, but there have to be incentives for the implementers, you know, the integrators. Like if I go to Ellen Markets and say, "Hey, can you guys, you know, support logging with slash tags?" I'm going to say, "Why? What's in it for me?" And I can't be mad if they ask that. And I have to have a good answer to that. It's totally all reasonable. But I can't go to them and say, hey, you know, we're all in this together and we're trying to make Bitcoin succeed. Why don't you do it for that reason? That's bullshit. Like, you know, they, ha- they, they have a vision. They have a goal. If, my, if, if our visions don't overlap and our incentives aren't complementary, they have no reason to do what I ask. And that's totally logical. But... I do think that we're doing our best to make this tech so flexible and powerful that people have many reasons to be interested and to support it. And I, and I think that so far it's proving relatively true. You know, the business development we are doing in that area seems to be working more than it's not working and we have momentum and I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. But yeah, I think, that, I think you're right. Tangent. I think, and no, I think you're right. I think that's just the way you get it done is like, you just make it the absolute best you can make it. And they're going to, they're going to want to come in because they absolutely like just love it. Like, right. You make them have an emotional connection to it. Or, or like, their like, users demand it. Yeah. Yeah. Know, or the users or that. demand it and say, Hey, like, why don't you support this? Yeah. And, and we it, already it, see a little bit of that. We mm-hmm. see people tagging people on Twitter, like, Hey, when are you going to support slash tags? And that's really cool to see, you know, it's, it's it dude, it's cool, man. Doing I'm not just right? saying that. Like, um, it's really cool. We've been talking about having a pleb wallet around here for the longest time in Austin. Like who's going to make a pleb wallet? Um, so like this, this could potentially be that this could potentially be a pleb wallet where you just have a wallet you give to a new pleb in town or, or to anybody that we're trying to shield to, right? Like orange pill. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it fits your pleb wallet requirement, but we are doing our best to make it, you know, yeah. as simple and, and, and as likable, you know, as fun and interesting to use the widgets is really um, cool as, as we can. It's a nice little touch the widgets. Let's get into pair credit. What is that? But I don't want to take up too much of your time, but what, what, what is pair credit? Oh, it's fine. So yeah, I, I told the whole history aspect of, you know, how we got here. And I'm now just starting to, I guess, talk about what pair credit actually is. And so what pair credit actually is, is it's a way of establishing, you know, tokens or credit. Um, Cause they are in other, in my opinion, the only moral and actual utility for a token um, a digital bearer token is an IOU, which is essentially a form of credit. Um, I don't believe in like, you know, base layer tokens aside from Bitcoin, which is like, you know, 
tokens as money. Um, I also, while I believe in them, I do not care about them because the current legal environment doesn't facilitate them. But um, I also don't care about security tokens because those are highly regulated. You could use this for that technically. but I, I, they're so highly regulated. And I also don't care too much about NFTs because I feel like there's some misunderstanding about what they can and can't do. And that's misunderstanding is powered by greed. And so I don't really want to touch that area until it matures into understanding what a digital autograph actually can and can't do. Um, but you can do those better. You could do all those things better with pair credit in my estimation. And so how pair credit works is it takes the concept of, okay, the issuer wants to issue some tokens or some credit. And the way this works at Tether is in order to create tethers, you have to give Tether real dollars. You have to say, hey, you know, I want to make an account at Tether and I want to deposit real dollars into this account. And then when you confirm that you've received those dollars, you will issue Tether tokens to me equivalent to the amount of dollars that I gave to you. Um, But the process of doing this, you know, at the base layer of Tether is KYC, it's regulated, et cetera. Like you, you can't get Tether to do this without them knowing who you are, without them getting the money first, without them KYCing you, et cetera. So the, the quantity of Tether users at the base level is much smaller than the quantity of users in the, the kind of nation or, or, or worldwide level. But what's cool about this is because it's a bearer instrument, those are the only people that need that relationship with Tether. So they make an account at Tether, they KYC, they get Tethers. And now say, for example, one of those accounts is Binance and Binance has, they generate some Tether. They, they have a business relationship. They're known. And now Binance says, Hey, I'm going to take these Tethers and I'm going to use my own terms for distributing them to people on our exchange. And maybe Binance, I don't know how Binance actually works, but let's assume they have some level of account that requires KYC and some level of account that does not. Say the level of account that requires KYC is just to deposit and withdraw real dollars. And they say, okay, if you're KYC, you can withdraw real, real, real dollars. But maybe they have a lower level account where all you have to do is give them, say, a phone number or something. And then you can transact and deposit and withdraw Tether dollars. So now you have this downstream use of Tether, right? Where now people can use it and now they can withdraw their Tethers from Binance without having a root Tether account, right? So this is how Tether works today. And so now, oh, look, I have Tethers in my wallet. It can be my Omni wallet. It can be my Ethereum wallet, whatever. And I can say, I can now go to Car and I can say, hey, Car, you know, I owe you five bucks. Do you have a wallet that supports Tether? And you say, I mean, you probably don't and I don't either, but let's imagine we did. Um, and I say, hey, well, okay, I'm going to scan your QR code and I'm going to pay you five bucks in Tether. And now you have five bucks in Tether. Tether was not involved in that transaction. Tether doesn't care about the transaction. Tether doesn't know either of us exist. Um, and that's the cool part of having a digital bearer instrument of an IOU is that you can have an entire aftermarket that can do peer-to-peer trade with it. And that's why Tether is so popular, right? Because again, you can peer-to-peer trade it and that makes it borderless. That makes it, you know, uh, not uncensored, but unmitigated. In other words, you know, you don't, you, I don't have to ask Tether for permission to send you my Tethers, right? And that is, that's the, these are the requirements. These are the important qualities of Tether tokens or of any credit token. And I, and I want to be clear, my interest in all this is only 
compatible with tethers and trust. My interest is not to purvey tether across the land more. My interest is to show people that, hey, if tether is useful, so are other forms of credit, like gift cards. Like I, I believe that digital tokens you know, used to express gift cards is a strict upgrade over the current format of gift cards. Because gift cards are basically, they're not bearer tokens, they're like passwords. And if I want to give you my gift card, you have to trust that I have the password now too. And so you have to hope that I won't spend it before you do. So now it's a trusted process. And when it's a token, you only trust the issuer. But when it's a gift card, you trust the issuer and every owner before you, right? So an aftermarket is like highly risky because you don't know how many people owned it before you and whether one of them will redeem it before you. And you also don't even know whether when you go to redeem it at Amazon, whether they're going to block you because of some kind of mysterious behavior that they detected that this is had you know, this didn't come directly from the, the, the seller, which is something that they do. And you can remove all of that, you know, if you have gift cards as a token, you can remove that people, you know, you have like 50 cents left in your gift card, but there's nothing available from that buyer that's worth 50 cents. Well, that problem goes away. It's called breakage. Like you can remove this problem, um, if you issue them as tokens, because I can just go and sell that 50 cents of, you know, Amazon tokens on some aftermarket for 50 cents of Bitcoin if I want, you know, or 50 cents of tethers if I want. And so aftermarket credit is really, really cool. Like you can do anything and you can create a whole, you can basically have order books for all the tokens that are issued. You can say, okay, like I have, I'm going off a little bit on a rant on a side tangent. I'm not explaining pair credit, no, but sorry. Good. These are the use cases, I guess, of pair credit. You love shitcoins. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's an important distinction. They're not shitcoins, right? They're they're IOUs. The diff- the the major difference is a shitcoin promises you nothing. An issuer promises you something specific, and that they they put their reputation on the line. Nobody's putting their reputation on the line. Nobody's promising you anything for a shitcoin. Um, when you have credit, there's there's a liability there. That liability may have legal repercussions and like you know legal liability. It may have you know has certainly has reputational and business effects if you fail. Um, if if Tether stopped redeeming Tether tokens to some users at the base layer of Tether. Um, the tether price would plummet, right? Because they're like, oh shit, I can't redeem these things. They're worthless. And that's what everybody's scared about with tether is that they don't actually have the money, right? Um, But this has always been true of all forms of credit. This is not something unique to tether. It only feels that way because tether is the most prevalent and, and dominant and the biggest within our world. But there are certainly much bigger banks than tether, you know? Um, Anyway, uh, what pair credit does is it takes all the stuff I just explained and instead of putting it on a blockchain to achieve those qualities, it puts it inside of a, of a, one of these append only logs, basically, like I mentioned, these, these hyper drives, what slash tags uses as the data store. And again, it uses the DHT as a system and hypercore as a system. Um, and the, what Tether does is we say, okay, we're going to create a drive that is a ledger and we're going to, it's going to be public. Everybody can see it. It's just like a blockchain, except it's ours. We own this database. It's like, you know how people say, don't use a blockchain for that, just use a database. This is the design to do that, <laughs> but, but be able to do that in an open way where you can still get all the qualities that I just described. And the way you get those qualities is by this design. 
and, and it gets really cool. So uh, I'll, I'll finish by rounding out how this is strictly better than RGB, than Taro, than Omnibolt. That's the, the where this ends. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, and so here. Let's... Uh, the, the idea here is now they have this ledger. Anybody can verify and, and hold a copy of this ledger and follow this ledger from the DHT. And the, and the ledger updates are always proven because they have, they can only be made by the key holder, which is tether. And now anybody can have what the equivalent of an account in this ledger, just like I described how you have an account with tether. Now the people in the base ledger, they have to KYC the same way they do with tether today, right? Like this is how it works. This is how, at least how tether works. Um, other ledgers, you know, like say for example, uh, Amazon gift card, they might not make you KYC to get, you know, credit with them or tokens with them. Um, or, or your coffee shop might not require such things, but this is how Tether works. And it's, it's noteworthy because it, it's a good way to show where things separate. So now it's the way that pair credit works is let's say now Binance has one of these accounts in this ledger in this hypercore. Um, what Binance can do is they can lock their balance in that account and they can make a new ledger using that balance. And so kind of like how I mentioned, Binance can now choose to redistribute tokens to their users. Well, they do this in a way that's provable. They, they lock their balance with Tether and they say, okay, now we have our own ledger of Tether that has this quantity of Tether inside of it. All the users can see it. They can prove it. They can compare it to the original ledger. ledger. They can say, okay, this, all makes, this is all true. And now I can have accounts in Binance's ledger. And Binance can make their own requirements for whether you can have a balance in these accounts. And so eventually, and then any of their users that have a balance in Binance's ledger, they can lock their balance and make their own ledger. So now imagine, you know, Carr has an account at Binance and Carr says, hey, I want some Tether. Binance uses whatever requirements they use to let you have Tether. And now you say, okay, I'm going to lock my balance and make my own ledger. And now you make your own ledger. Now you have Car's Tether ledger. And now you choose who can have an account with you in your ledger and what rules you put in place for being able to allow you to give somebody Tether. Your only rule might be, hey, you have to give me, if you want $5 of Tether, you have to give me $5 of Bitcoin. That might be your only requirement. And, you say, and then otherwise, I'll give it to anybody. And you, the same way you would do in real life with Tether, you know, like we talked about when I owed you five dollars, uh, you know, earlier, um, and now any of those people that get tether from you can also make their own ledger, and you have this basically this fractal this fractal credit system, where people can just use their own balance to separate themselves from the issuer, and so when you when you make a balance with when you make your own ledger and you give some of that balance to me, now. Tether's not involved at all, right? Like Tether doesn't even see that. They're not involved. They don't even know it exists. It's far down the line on this, on these, this root system, I guess you could say. Um, and, you know, that we get that quality again where peer-to-peer -peer we can transact together and um, Tether doesn't have to be involved. We don't have to ask Tether for permission. And, it's pr and we have all the proofs in place and I can go up, to, up the roots to the originating ledger to verify any amount of the history that I want to in any, to any way I want to. Now here's the coolest part <laughs> and the final part. You can bridge these ledgers using lightning channels. 
And so what we did is we took the same design that Lightning uses for the Bitcoin network to do Lightning channels. And we do the same concept for Lightning channels. Instead of settling to Bitcoin, they're Lightning channels for databases. And so if now I'm in Cars Ledger and I have some Tether in there, and now let's imagine, you know, we, we, I've I painted this whole picture where we've gone from Tether to Binance to Car to John, right? Now let's imagine that Bitfinex has an account with Tether and they have their own users. And now we'll say, uh, you know, Joe has an account in Bitfinex. And now Joe, you know, makes his own ledger and Joe, you know, gives some, some Bitcoin to Karen and Karen now wants to pay me. Now we're in, we're in two totally separate root systems, like separated root systems, right? The only root we share in common is Tether, right? Now you would think, oh, that mean, does that mean that Karen has to send, you know, a balance to, uh, I forgot the names now, <laughs> Joe to Bifinex to Tether to Binance to Car to John? Is that how it works? This sounds a little bit like lightning routing. That sounds like having to ask Tether for permission, right? That sucks. And it sounds complicated. Well, it's true. It is. But you don't have to do that. What Karen does is she makes a lightning channel to me. She says, hey, John, I'm going to directly peer-to-peer open a channel with you so I can send and, and we make a proof system across ledgers. And so she gives me proofs of her balance in her ledger. I give her proofs of, her, of my balance in my ledger. And we, we resolve and we transact off-chain or off-database as much as we want to. And when we're done and we want to settle we end up settling in the balances of the ledgers. And so this means that we can bridge the ledgers. And this is totally without anyone up but, but us two knowing what's happening. So it's a completely off database or off chain. And here's where it's cooler than doing lightning tokens. Like I've already explained, you know, how we're doing this without a blockchain and how we're doing lightning. But the cool part is it's free. There's no on-chain transactions. It's instant and there's no routing. So I don't have to find a route to Karen. I don't have to pay an on-chain fee and wait 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes for the, the channel to confirm. I don't have to pay fees in the route to Karen. I just say, hey, Karen, what's your key? Oh, let's open a channel. Let me pay you. And it's like a disposable channel. We can keep it open. We can close it, whatever. And so and it uses the same punishment mechanisms, except again, in the database format. So if there's a dispute between the ledger state, between Karen and John, well, John can show a proof to, the, to, to Tether or any ledger above that proves that Karen is cheating and we can have whatever punishment mechanism we want. It can be that I get all of Karen's tether. It can be whatever. Um, so it's the same concepts of lightning, but it's lightning for databases minus the shitty parts of lightning. No fees, no on-chain, no having to run a Bitcoin node, no having to route, no needing to have a route, no needing to do all of the gossip of routing, etc. So it's basically like lightning on steroids. Like you just say, okay, everything is directly peer-to-peer. I can have as many channels as I want and I never have to worry about routing. And that's, that's, and that's basically what pair credit's going to be? Is that? Yeah. It's what it is. Um, it's been under development since April or so. Um, it, the development now is now increased in pace. We will probably show people code 
Q1, Q2 of 2023. Um, we will start implementing in our apps Q2, Q3, and then Q3, Q4, we will hopefully unveil, you know, Tether on pair credit in BitKit, um, in Keat. You know, this is the final kind of proof that, okay, this is safe enough for everybody. Um, that's the plan. That's the idea. We're not hiding anything about it. Um, that, you know, we're, we welcome the competition. Um, but the cool part here is I'll get to show people, you know, Hey, here's why it's cool to be able to have gift cards as credit, as tokens, as bearer instruments. Here's why it's cool. Here's what you can do. Like I will, I will work once it's ready. I will work on business development to convince different merchants and different, you know, businesses to issue forms of credit that are interesting. I'll say, Hey, you know, uh, let's say you have a pleb coffee shop in Austin or something and pleb coffee shop wants to issue large, co- large coffee tokens. They don't have a dollar value. They don't have a Bitcoin value. They're just a debt for one large coffee. And that's what the token represents. There can be an aftermarket that trades that based off of the current cost of the coffee. Now say I go to Starbucks and I say, Hey, Starbucks issue a large coffee token. And now people can now, in the aftermarket, decide what the value difference is between a pleb coffee, large coffee, and a, and a Starbucks large coffee. And they can resolve this in actual order books using these tokens, you know, in actual balances of credit. Um, and that would allow, eventually, the idea is anybody can accept anything. And then you automate the conversion in the background. And so if, you, if, if pleb coffee shop wants to accept Starbucks large coffee tokens, they can do so the same way that they would accept a different fiat currency because there's a, an aftermarket, there's an order book, there's people that will buy the other side. And you, so you say, okay, well, a Starbucks coffee token, yeah, we'll, we'll accept that because I can go and sell it for the equivalent of an amount that I'm, that I'm okay with to pay my costs, you know, even though it's not credit issued by us. And so that's the kind of whole end goal here is essentially decentralized credit issuance to not just only be tether, but to be for people to hold stable things in the things they actually need and care about. So instead of like trying to promote world dollar domination and bring dollars to, you know, Africa and bring dollars to, uh, you know, Brazil and Argentina, which I think is a form of dollar imperialism, which is dangerous. It makes the dollar more powerful. Um, I want to bring people the idea of credit and say, okay, who cares? You don't need dollars. You want the dollars because you want to buy tomatoes. So get yourself some tomato tokens. You know what I mean? Like, and, and try to get people to rethink about how these things work in a post hyper Bitcoinized society. Yeah. Sounds sound. I, 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 I want to, I want to see how all this is going to play out, you know, like with tarot, you guys, um, with slash tags and pair credit and, um, it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting, man. I, I, I just like here in, here in the lab, there's, um, there's, I, I don't, I don't like one of the biggest things I hear is just like, like who's like, especially when it comes to tarot, it's just like, well, who's going to have the skill set to actually create those? Like, that's the thing I keep hearing over and over and over again. Um, just from the development side, it's like, who's going to actually be the one to make those? Like, like if, 
you know, Uh, I'm very open with things. I've said this directly to Ryan. I said, here are my criticisms about tarot. Here's what concerns me about it. Here's why we're doing pair credit. Here's what I think you should be doing. If you believe in your design in order to properly compete, like I'm not like a divisive person. I, I don't want to, it's not about ego for me. It's that I actually think that this is the most rational way to solve the problem. And thus it will be the most likely to be the most helpful to the most people. And my criticism with tarot as, you know, since I mentioned it to, to them already, and I'll mention it to you, um, is they've chosen at least an initial design where it requires these bridge nodes, these basically these exchange nodes at the edge, what they call the edge of the network. They portray this as an upside. They say, oh, we get to use lightning as rails. We get to, you know, have tokens at the edge of the network like the internet. And to people who don't scrutinize this, these all sound like upsides. But in my opinion, at least, and I could be wrong, they're downsides. And the reason they're downsides is one, lightning is already highly complex. Creating the user experience and the reliability you know, for the end user in a self-custodial wallet is extremely difficult. Um, nobody has truly achieved it yet. Um, we're trying to achieve it and we have various ways that we're trying to achieve both a good UX and reliability, but we have not achieved it yet. I think our, our design is good and may result in being one of the best ones, but it is very hard. And I know this from being, from doing it, it's extremely hard. Um, and now tarot wants to go on top of that. They want to say, not only do we want to have this complexity as a dependency and use that quote unquote as rails, but we want to add another layer on the outside of that for tokens. And we want to make it so in, in the complexity here is in order to use lightning on rails and, and keep in mind, lightning on rails comes with all the trade-offs that I mentioned that pair, pair credit gets around you have routing, you have liquidity, you have rebalancing, you have all of these, you know, requirements that cause, you know, instability, costs, inefficiency, um, you know, and, and lack of, you know, lack of reliability at times. Now you want to add on top similar problems with Tarot, where if I want to send you Tether, um, I have to first convert that Tether at an edge node and th- to, to Bitcoin send it over lightning, overcome all those obstacles. And then somebody on your end has to convert it back to tether. And then you receive the tether. This is like highly inefficient. And this is going to come at increased complexity, increased complexity of the user experience after as an after effect, increased cost, decreased reliability and increased latency because that, that those two conversions will come at a cost. They will come, there will be some errors in that process and there's going to be slippage. You know, there's basically going to be like an exchange rate that you have to pay. And the, the huge problem with this is what does that mean? That means that the only tokens that people will be able to send are tokens that already have order books that already have deep liquidity. And so that means you're not going to bootstrap car token or pleb token using tarot. You, it's impossible because the conversion, nobody knows what the conversion price is and nobody has a counterparty to take those tokens. The edge nodes don't want pleb tokens, right? They don't want car tokens. They want Bitcoin or they want dollars. They want something that has an actual 
you know, popularity to it and, and reliability to it. And so if I want to send you this new, you know, you make a pleb token and that say that pleb token gets me a pleb coffee. Well, that edge node, who takes the counter side of the trade? There's nobody there. So the only tokens that will be on Taro, at least using this design, are literally going to be major stable coins and nothing else. Now you may get some other partners like I've heard um I heard rumors that say Nidig wants to do something with Taro. My guess is it won't be a stable coin, but maybe it will. Maybe it'll be some other derivative or who who knows what I have no idea what their plans are. So you can you can technically bootstrap something, but you have to be the market maker. So if Nidig issues something that's new and doesn't have an established market, they'll have to be the market maker, which which means NIDIG will be the edge nodes. This is very centralized. It's very censorable. It could come at a you know a, a high cost. Uh, it could ca- include some capture related to it. And so what you're going to see is the only thing if if they keep this design, if they don't evolve it or change it somehow, Taro for the first few years is just only going to be like NIDIG coin and and USDC and maybe one or two other things. Gemini, I think, has a, has a, a GUSD. That's all it will be. It will probably likely be Americanized, you know, stable coins and nothing else because of the design requires this. But yeah, I'm sorry, I'm ranting a lot. No, that, that's kind of, that's literally the same thing I've been hearing too. Like that's, and it's just from people saying like, like who's going to make it? Like who's going to be the people that actually may build this? Like who wants to build it? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm personally, yeah, like I said I'm, earlier, I'm not, I'm not, not going to be the one to take the risk to figure yeah, out that. Like, UI I, yeah. Like I'm me that's... personally, like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a fight in this either way. I just want developers to do whatever they want. But, uh, like I, I hear, I hear this over and over and over and it's just like, okay, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, well, let, let's imagine that say, uh, I don't know. It was a good example. Um, let's say, no, not Coinbase. Uh, What's a popular American wallet? Coinbase. Um, can't think of one. Coinbase is a popular American <laughs> wallet, unfortunately. Well, that, but they're they're an account though, not a wallet. A strike. Strike has its own. Uh, at least it has a Bitcoin wallet, right? Like you can hold your own Bitcoin keys. Yeah. The the Lightning part is custodial, but the Bitcoin part is is not. So let's say Strike. In, in, I don't know that they would because they didn't implement self custodial Lightning. But let's imagine they implemented self custodial Tarot, right? Um, if Strike implements and open sources, you know, and popularizes uh, stable coins on Taro, and it becomes obvious that this is interesting and useful and people like it and want to be able to do it, then I'll consider doing it. You know, I'll say, oh, look, all right, somebody has figured out a good UX for this. They've, they've gone through all the pains of, you know, dealing with all the bugs and how to implement this and make it reliable. Let's go ahead and replicate it so we can be useful to Bitcoin and Lightning users that want to take advantage of this. Then I'll do it. But in my opinion, that's years away. I would say maybe maybe a year or two from now, I, w- I can look at it again and say, hey, maybe there's something here. But I'm not going to be the one to pioneer that. No way. Yeah, that's a that's a big risk if you're like a like a cash app or strike to bet on something like that. Well, it's less risk for them than it is for me. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it is a risk, and it is going to be like highly centralized at first, you know. And and the nature of these designs require that it be so. 
it's not my favorite. I, I this is why I'm more interested in pair credit. Why we essentially, you know, birthed it and and revived this old idea Paulo had with Matthias. So, um, I can't find fault in the design, but we will attempt to. So I'm not going to be delusional about this. Once we have working code that is we're proud of, we will have it audited by two separate auditors. We will make sure this thing actually, you know, can deliver on the promises that I mentioned today. And if people want and if to, if it can't, we won't do it. <laughs> yeah, and if people want to start building on um, on all the stuff that you've created, where, where can they go, John? Um, so, as far as synonym goes, you can go to the synonym dev org on GitHub. So, github.org uh, slash synonym dev. Um, we have pretty much everything open source. I don't know. We have maybe. I don't know which of these are internal and which are these are public, but we have something like a hundred repos now. Um, so all the slash tag stuff, all the modules, all the feeds, we have slash tags SDK. We have slash tags for react native. We have block tank, which we didn't talk about today, which is our LSP. The LSP server is open source. The client is open source. The widget is open source, everything. Um, we have BitKit. BitKit is fully open source since day one. Nice. All of the BitKit stuff. Uh, you are welcome to contribute to all of this. We finally started getting some outside contributors and that feels really cool. Um, what else do we have? Uh, slash tags, BitKit, um, Block Tank. I, I'm missing something, but there's more stuff in there. Oh, yeah. LDK. We, we, we implemented LDK React Native for BitKit as well. So we've been working with the LDK team. So if you want a React, another React Native implementation to use, we, we put a lot of work into ours. And they've been a great asset as well. They've been helping us a lot with trying to get LDK to be more reliable in our app. Um, I know that Blue Wallet has also been working on their own implementation. And, and there's just a lot going on there. So everything is open source there. Um, if you want to learn about any of our specific products, we have a website for each product now. So you can go to synonym.to to get the overview of everything. You can go to blocktank.to to only look at blocktank stuff and you use a blocktank widget to buy lightning channels. You can go to bitkit.to to learn all about bitkit and download the app. And you can go to slash tags.to to specifically learn all about that, how it works and use the playground. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put all the links in the show notes so everybody can um, click on them and uh, go start contributing. And we have a lot more planned for 2023. Uh, we're road mapping now, so I'll know more specifically what our plans are in a month or two. Um, but yeah, like it, it's only going to get cooler. Like I'm really excited for the next stages of slash tags and BitKit. I'm really excited for the next stage of block tank too. Um, we have some cool stuff brewing there. Um, and we have, uh, I don't know that we'll have time in 2023. I really hope, for, uh, really hope so, but we have one or two more products that we're, we're really, you know, aching to get out and, and show you guys as well. So it's, this is not the end. We have a lot going on and, and we appreciate everybody's like consideration and support. Yeah. Great job. Great job uh, on everything, John. Congratulations on just the immediate uh, release of a uh, big kid and then everything you've been doing. I, I know you've been working hard. And so like, congrats to your team and everybody getting this out there. This is, this is beautiful, man. This, this wallet's pretty beautiful. Um, thank you. And, and thank you from the team. They do really appreciate the compliments and I couldn't have done any of this without them. They're, they're, they're the ones doing the work, not me. Yeah. I'm just the one trying to hold all these, juggle all these things and hold them together. Um, and, and you know, good job to you guys too. Like I see, you know, what's happening over in Austin and you know, the, how things have, you know, be, how it's become a hub and, 
and how I like to see the Pleb Lab commercials with Super Testnet. Those are funny. <laughs> and uh, the, doing the hackathons. Hackathons are something really like near and dear to me. Um, you know, I went to the, the one in, you know, the one Jeremy Rubin did in Austin and that was cool. Nice. And I've been to, been going to that, even though I'm not a dev, I've been going to them for years and I really think they're important. We're going to start running some of our own as well. You can expect to see some slash tags, hackathons. Um, I've been a judge regularly for the lightning uh, hackathons from Bolt Fun. Yeah, we just that. finished yeah. one today and I think they're going to announce the winners today or tomorrow. So yeah. Yeah. Congrats on that. Yeah, that that's uh, that, that's that's on our, that's on our schedule for next year is to do a hackathon. So we're going to do that again. It'd be cool to get somebody to do some, some cool slash tag stuff. This is uh or make some really neat widgets. Like I think you're on to something about these widgets, man. This is, this is pretty cool. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, I like stuff like this. I don't know if I'm right, but I have this hope and this feeling that slash tags is going to like really like turbo boost the Bitcoin hackathon environment. Like it really unlocks like, like all like sometimes when you see a hackathon, it's like, all right, man, all you did was make a website and put a lightning address in there. Like that's not that impressive. <laughs> like uh, people have done that before and uh, you know, websites have been around for a long time, but just doing that with slash tags, it makes, it makes the whole thing cool again. You know what I mean? It makes everything a hack again. And so getting a slash tags hackathon that combines Bitcoin user experiences, like that's what we're all about. And I think you can see like with BitKit, for example, like this, so the, the, the canvas is immense. Like, like I, we're only scratching the service on what you could do with slash tags, what you could do with widgets. I want to see widgets like from everybody in the community. Like, I, I'll say it's, I'll say it here. I haven't said it to them directly, but like, for example, I think like mempool space, they should be oh, the yeah. ones doing a Bitcoin blocks widget, not us. Like why, yeah. why are we the ones running a Bitcoin blocks widget? It should come from them. Like, um, I'm sure it would be much cooler if they did. It happened with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, so there's cool, all man. kinds of things that can be done. Yeah. It's so cool. It's so cool. Uh, I, I, I got a couple just fun questions at the end. Cause I always love your Go tweets. I always love your tweets. Uh, and you always say, this can't happen until, you know, the, the bear market can't be over until this happens. Where are we at on those, <laughs> on those, uh, pre those premonitions or whatever they're called? The, the John. Well, maybe you can help statements. me with one of them. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think has happened next before this bear market is over? Well, I don't remember that. I mean, I know the tweet and I, I, I try to dig it up and retweet it as the bear market <laughs> progresses and yeah, the, the list has progressed. Um, I don't know. You've been right on like two of them, dude. That's crazy. Like, it's like what you would, you and uh, Odell, man, it's just like, you guys hit these things and I'm like, how the hell are they like reading tea leaves? Like what's I going think there on? are two important ones left. Okay. And what if, are if they? These ones happen. The bear market is definitely over. What are they? Um, and, and, and just in general, I think the bear market will be, I think that any bottom we're going to have is going to happen within the next two months um, if it hasn't happened already. But anyway, price predictions aside, um, the, the two on my checklist that haven't happened are one, um, Jeremy Rubin has to give up on CTV. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but that's maybe the one you can help me with. <laughs> check um, it, it, it certainly seems to have died down in excitement. I don't know if we'll ever get a formal, I give up from him, but if he's willing to make a sacrifice, I think he could help end the bear market. So let him know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other one, uh, what was the other one? Yeah, Jeremy, we had Michael Saylor going underwater. That one happened. Um, oh, I know what the other one that didn't happen yet. That needs to happen and very well could. Um, Elon 
somebody tell Elon, um, one of my predictions and requirements was that the NFT feature had needed to be removed from Twitter. Um, oh, wow. So okay. Now, now I didn't, I did not guess or know that Elon would take over Twitter and he is making a lot of changes. So there's a ripe opportunity here for that to happen. <laughs> Maybe he decides to remove the NFT feature. That's awesome. um, and if he does, I totally that see that. Yeah. I could totally see that. What is going on here, dude? How do you know this stuff? Like, that's crazy. Uh, that's crazy. You're it's, just it's predicting just this stuff. Of the things that were too bullish, basically. That's all. Uh, it is. is that what it's that like is? Saying, okay. Yeah. Like, like, I called the top, I didn't trade it, you know, but I called it, you know, like verbally and, and maybe even in tweets. Um, when I was in El Salvador last year and I remember like at the same time as adopting Bitcoin conference, they had the, the, the law conf, you know, right across the street. And it was like the, the, the days right out or it overlapped a little bit. And it was the days after. And I saw like footage from what was happening there. And I just saw, how people were behaving on Twitter and it was like, uh, fuck. Like everybody was right. Everybody was rich. Everybody was like just irrationally confident that anybody who thought NFTs were a scam or NFTs were stupid or useless, they were just getting like in, in the opinion of NFT people totally dunked on. They were just so right we were going to the moon. Everybody was going to get a Lambo and, and the Bitcoin price was at 70 K. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute, like Bitcoiners think Bitcoin is going to go to hundred K and this is, and people are behaving like this at 70 K. I was like, there's no fucking way. Like everybody, everybody cannot get a Lambo. That is not how economics work. Like there's just no chance in hell that every NFT person is actually going to get a Lambo. There's no way we're going to hundred K. It's just not going to happen. Um, the, the laser eyes was another one. You know, I, I had no way to like express this as a checklist, but people were moving laser eyes is another good signal of bear market ending. Um, because it's just like the laser eyes were happening at, I don't know, was it 50 K? Like when you first went to 50, 55 K it was like just ecstatic. And that's when I removed mine. I was like, nah, this is, this is too much. <laughs> and, and then, uh, and then we went down to 30K and then we went back up to 70K. And we, like I said, at 70K, it was just like, fuck me, man. There is no way that all these NFT people are going to get rich. We can't go any higher. It's just, it's just obscenely uh, euphoric right now. Yeah. Gosh, dude. Yeah. Everything you just said right now is just... And, like, and part of why they were euphoric was because Twitter added it, right? It was like, oh, like we are validated. Twitter has added this. NFTs make sense. And, and yeah. I need that feature removed. So tell Elon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him when I see him. 